Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. We have tons of groups around. We have men's groups that do golf, that give you a kind of easier connection point. There's a fantasy football group for all you guys that do legalized Christian gambling. Uh, there's all types of groups uh, for ladies, uh, for couples, for families, all that good stuff. But they all exist for those four purposes. They're not designed to build around the topic or the Bible study or the activity. They're designed to build around the gospel and the presence of Jesus. And those four things hopefully are accomplished in every group, that there's growth, there's prayer, there's connection, and there's impact in every single one of those. And so if you do me a favor, real quick, we have, I think, 38 or 40 groups. If you just take your phone out and just text the word, my group, to that number, you'll get a directory with all the groups that are available on in, in our church. And you can actually register them right there, but you can see them, you can pick out uh, what groups you wanna be a part of or you're interested in. When you, when you sign up, you'll get a connection point or contact from one of these group leaders, and they'll tell you all you need to know about that group and answer any questions you may have. Also, next Sunday is Labor Day, and the week after that, we start a brand new series called Mind Control. So for the past two years, we've really been focused on Philippians uh, and last year we walked through Philippians 1, this year we've hit chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3. And next month we're hitting chapter 4. And in chapter 4, it, it's really Paul trying to tell the church that you don't need to be anxious for anything. Jesus is more than enough to bring peace that surpasses understanding into your life. And we live in a culture where anxiety and depression are at sky high levels. Mental health is, is decreased in our culture, in our population and what's interesting is the, the statistics in America are much, much, much higher than the rest of the world. And so there must be something going on within our culture. And we're going to take these four weeks and we're going to learn how to reset our minds and renew our minds so that we can live the life God has called us to live rather than the anxiety the enemy's trying to get us to live in. And so if you do me a favor, we don't spend a bunch of money on outward advertising or mailers or anything like that. Next two weeks, we're going to post some things on social media with a script for you to invite some of your friends that may be dealing with anxiety or just needing the peace of God in their lives. And again, I say this every time, don't invite somebody from another church. We're not trying to build our church that way. Find someone God is already working on. Someone who's in a situation or predicament, someone who's struggling with, with eternity, someone who's struggling with life, and invite them in and let them know that God is God of their life, their heart, their soul, their spirit, but also their mind. And so that's coming up in the next few weeks. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to reach deep in your pockets real quick and know this is not an offering appeal. So don't, don't reach for your checkbook, but I want you to just reach in your pockets and look what's in there. And I always carry my wallet and I use a, a thin front pocket wallet because I don't want to sit. My dad growing up had a wallet about the size of my Bible right here. And so I use my front pocket wallet. In my wallets, debit cards, credit cards, um, you can see there is no cash because I have four teenagers in my house. My driver's license and medical insurance card. And it seems like my medical insurance card gets used more than anything else in my wallet. I usually have my wallet with me. I usually have chapstick with me. I usually have mints, cough drops. And in my bag, usually I have my laptop or my iPad in the back. I always have my Bible. I have my moleskin journals. Every sermon I, I write starts in a journal on paper. I have pens. I have Sharpies. I have my... Most prized possession my wife got me for Christmas, my AirPods, because they are life-changing. And I have all the things I think I need for every single day. And I, I'm a, I watch a lot of YouTube channels and Instagram. There's a lot of these things going around now called everyday carry. All these guys who carry pistols with them every single day. And I think they're getting to be more feminine when they start carrying their guns because they, well, this one matches this, these boots I wear, and this one matches this wardrobe. I'm like, thought you were trying to be tough. Like, that's, that's weird. And they started talking about all the things they carry. They have their pistol out and their knife out. And, and, and so as you dig through your pockets, what are the things you carry around the most? What, what's the thing that if you left it at home, you would turn around and go back for probably your cell phone? Because heaven knows you can't spend seven hours a day on Facebook if you don't have your cell phone with you. It may be your keys. But what is it that you carry around that you would think, I have to carry this with me? 
Like I, like I need this with me if I'm going to function throughout the day. And, and I'm a firm believer that many times the thing we need the most is the thing we think about the less. We think about all these things we carry in your car, in your bag, in your purse, ladies. You have half your life in your purse. And the things you need the most you can't ever find. What if the most important thing that you carry in your life is the thing you think about the least? And what if that thing that you think about the least is actually the most important thing about you? What if it's the the most necessary thing in your life or the thing that sets you apart from every other person on earth? And I'll tell you what that is. The most important thing you carry with you everywhere you go is not your phone, not your wallet, not your keys, not your purse. It's not your, your, your Alabama flag you put on your car, I'm sure, this week. It is the presence of God. And many times when you leave the house, you don't even think about you carrying the presence of God with you. When you go to work, you don't even think about carrying the presence of God with you. When you go to your kid's school or their ball game, you don't think about carrying the presence of God with you. But in the Bible, over and over again, the presence of God is the most important thing about you. And as a New Testament believer, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ, you carry the presence of God or heaven with you every single place you go. If you would stand as we read Exodus chapter 33 together, I'll give you a quick second to turn there. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. This is an interesting transition in scripture. For Moses has been on Mount Sinai and he's got the two, the, the two stones or two tablets of Ten Commandments. He's gotten the law from God. He's, he's about to transition from Mount Sinai into the journey towards the promised land. And in this transition, something very important happens because God tells Moses, you know what? I'm sick and tired of dealing with your hard, stiff-necked hearts. I'm tired of dealing with you. Every time I give you a command, you you go and do whatever you want to do anyway. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not going with you. And Moses begins to intercede for himself and the people in in this exchange between him and God. It says in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, back up. If you go back earlier in this chapter, God says, I'm going to send the angel before you to destroy all your enemies. So he's told him that, hey, an angel's gonna go and take care of all your problems ahead of time. He, he, this angel's gonna wipe out your enemies, but Moses here is saying, oh, that, that, that's not what I'm asking for, God. That, that's not enough. Angels are great, but that's not what I'm asking for. He says, Moses said to the Lord, see you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. God knows you by name. You may be just a number to your employer. You may just be a number to the, to the government. You may just be a number to somebody in your family. But to God, you have a name that he set upon you before you were ever born. And he knows you by that name. He says, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. If God knows your name, it means you have the favor of God upon you. If you are nameless, you wouldn't have favor. But he says, I know you by name and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you or know you more in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said, and Moses says back, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? Everybody say distinct that we are distinct and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And then the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. So Moses is in his discussion with God. He's saying, God's saying, listen, I'm taking you to the promised land. I've got an angel going before you, removing obstacles and problems out of your way. And he's saying, but I'm not going with you. The angel will go with you. And Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean I can go to the promised land? 
I can have all my enemies defeated. I can have all my problems taken care of, but you're not going with me? He said, if that's the case, I'd rather stay here in the wilderness with you in your presence than walk into the promised land without you. Listen to that. Moses was willing to stay in the wilderness his entire life, but with the presence of God, rather than go into the promised land without God's presence. What's, what's the problem is I believe in our New Testament churches today, in our modern contemporary churches, we'd much rather go to the promised land and leave God behind. I, I'd rather have my problems taken away and not have the presence of God than to be in these problems of my life, but have the presence of God with me. See, the, the problem is this is a disastrous comment for Moses to receive. Because Moses viewed, you can have all the promises of God you want to. You can have all the blessings you want to, but if you're absent, the presence of God is still a living hell. But you can be right smack in the middle of suffering, pain, sickness, disease, enemies, obstacles, frustrations, and hindrances, and have the presence of God with you and be right smack in the middle of heaven. And Moses had a choice to make, promise and blessings, or wilderness in the presence. He said, give me your presence. Father, we thank you that your presence is not far away. Your presence is right here in the midst of us. And we thank you, Father, that if you're not going, we don't wanna go. Father, if you're not going before us, we don't wanna go. Father, if you're not going with us, we don't wanna go. Father, we'd rather have you in the middle of the chaos than to walk into the promised land without you. And Father, I pray in these next few moments, you just open up our eyes, our hearts, our spirits to the reality that the presence of God brings the favor of God, brings the intimacy of relationship with you, and brings everything we need to be set apart from every other person on earth. So we lift you up in this place and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Moses said, I'd rather carry your presence than your blessings. And it seems like we'd rather carry the blessings of God than the presence of God. And he actually said, it is your presence that makes me distinct and separates me from every other person on earth. Not how I dress, not my success, not my vision, not my dreams, not my money, not my house, not my car, not my kids, not my sports. That, that, that doesn't set me apart. He says the presence of God sets us apart. And so this is the, kind of the main point. We are common vessels. Touch your neighbor and say, you're common. Touch your other neighbor and say, you're much more common. We are common vessels filled with the presence of God. Or you can say it this way. We are common vessels filled with an uncommon treasure. We are common vessels filled with an uncommon treasure. Because this way, it is the presence of God that makes us, that makes me, that makes you different, special, distinct, and sets us apart from every other person on earth. God sees two types of people. Those who are carrying his presence and those who are absent his presence. Those who are carrying his presence carry the favor, carry the knowledge, carry the intimacy. Those absent are up to themselves for whatever happens in life. Those who are absent the present, presence are trying to set themselves apart through works and through effort, through striving to please people, by, by trying to build their own kingdoms and try to build their own lives. And there's only these two types of people, those who find everything they need in the presence of God and those trying to set themselves apart without the presence of God. That's the only two types of people. And what's amazing is this is Old Testament time and, and God is telling Moses, I will go with you. But in the New Testament, God says, I'll come within you. Major difference. God's not going with us. God is inside of us. Therefore, instead of God going with us, we're carrying God to wherever we may go. If the presence of God is the presence of heaven, that means I'm carrying heaven wherever I may go. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, most of us through this verse, it says, do you not know that you're, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Meaning you are the temple 
of God. You're a common vessel, a common building, a common temple that carries the presence of heaven. You carry the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul's trying to reiterate this again. He said that we have this treasure. Touch your neighbor and say, you have treasure inside of you. Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Meaning I'm a common vessel, common clay jar, but inside of me is heaven itself. Inside of me is the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the grave. Inside of me, when it talks about heaven being peaceful and joyful, that same presence is inside of me. The same spirit that sits upon the throne of heaven that the angels fly around and sing, holy, holy, holy is inside of me. So I don't have to wait till I get to heaven. I can take heaven with me to my work, to my school, to my job, to the football game, to the baseball game, to the basketball game, to the volleyball game, to my family reunion. I get to take the presence of God because wherever I go, the presence of God goes with me. And he says in Exodus 33, it's not the vessel that makes you special. It's not the vessel that makes you distinct. It's not the vessel that sets you apart. And, and we live in a culture where we're always trying to dress up the outside of our lives in order to gain significance. Like we're all trying to dress up and, and have the most fashion or, or have the best car or let people see on social media or Facebook how well we're doing or how great we're doing. We're trying to set ourselves apart and make ourselves distinct from the masses by dressing up the vessel. And in this case, the vessel is falling apart. The vessel is temporary. The vessel is mortal. You set yourself apart by the contents inside of the vessel. And so wherever you go, you are the vessel that carries the presence of God. So when I show up to my job, I'm carrying the presence of heaven with me. When I show up to school, I see people are all concerned, well, we've taken God out of schools. No, we haven't. You just quit discipling your kids and your kids no longer carry the presence of God into the schools with them. I heard a guy who was, a, who was an Air Force pilot and they were doing a discipleship program and they asked him, they said, well, aren't you concerned that the, the government doesn't sponsor, doesn't condone uh, you doing discipleship and, and teaching on the Bible and this and this? He says, no, I appreciate it. They said, what do you mean? He says, at least now I know it's pure and untainted by mandatory regulations and obligations. In the same way, our schools are not darkness as long as our kids carry the presence of God with them. Your workplace is not hell as long as you carry heaven with you. Everywhere you go, if you show up and your loved one is passing away, you carry the joy of heaven with you. When you show up to a hospital room and someone's sick and they got bad news, you carry the peace of God with you. You, you carry heaven with you. You are a mobile temple, a moving tabernacle that carries the presence of God with you wherever you may go. And actually, it's what's inside of you that sets you apart and brings you the significance that you're actually looking for. You can't earn it. You, you can't manufacture it. You can't make it up. All you can do is say, God, fill me up with your presence. God, fill me up with heaven. So that way I can be a carrier of your presence wherever I may go. But the problem is that some of us are so scared of being distinct from everybody else that we'll hide the presence of God in our lives. Some of us are so scared, we're so concerned with what other people think about us. We're so concerned with what they think about our image that we actually hide the presence of God because we don't want to be special. We don't want to be distinct. We just want to kind of blend in. Even in church world, we'll see it happening. We've gotten ashamed of the presence of God because we don't want to be too separated from the world. We just want to be just separated enough on Sunday that people will come, but not separated so much that people think we're different. I'm telling you, listen, you're already different. You're already different. You can either embrace it and receive all the favor that comes along with it or fight it and lose the favor. See, what's happened is, as believers, we're, the number one priority Moses is saying, he's saying, Lord, all I need is your presence. All I need is your 
presence. The presence of God was his number one priority. And for us, if you ask yourself, what is your number one priority in life? Success, maybe even reading the word, maybe even going to church. He, he was unconcerned with, he said, I just need your presence. And what is, I believe has happened as believers is that we've become more contaminated by the culture around us than the culture within us. So when I show up with the culture of the kingdom of heaven, and I show up to my work, I show up to my job, I show up to my school, and I show up carrying the presence of heaven, what happens is when I realize everybody's looking at me because I'm different, I begin to either hide the presence of God or I start letting what's going on around me contaminate what's inside of me. When in reality, I'm supposed to let this out into the, into the culture around me. I should be an influencer of culture rather than influenced by culture. And when you realize that it's the presence of God that makes a difference, you can preach the gospel at your work. You can pray for people at your work. Those things are great, but it's the presence of God that makes a difference. And we've moved into a season of life where it is the presence of God or nothing because religion has triumphed in our culture. We have a form of religion with no power. People say, I, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, but I'm not seeing what you're saying about Jesus. People say Jesus is the answer, but they're living their lives like Jesus is the last resort. It's amazing to me that when you realize the presence of God is the first priority, it changes everything. When you live your life like you're carrying the presence of heaven with you, it'll change your perspective of life. But many of us live our lives absent the presence of God, and then we blame God for where we're at in life. And there was one time in history, in the, the history of Israel, there was two temples in Israel. David had just become king, and when David became king, there was a temple in the north side of Israel, in Gibeon. And Gibeon was a place with a high mountain, as a place where lots of other gods were worshipped, and Israel, in order to blend in with culture, didn't want to stand out too much, they built a temple next to all the other temples. Therefore, if you wanted to worship God, you could, but if that was a little too much for you, you could worship this God of Greece or Assyria or Asia Minor. You could worship these other gods. So we don't want to be too hard or too difficult on you. So you can pick. Well, David realized, like Moses, that without the presence of God, he was nothing. He, he, really, he knew that without the presence of God, he would not have killed Goliath. Without the presence of God, he would have never been king. He knew it. And so the very first thing, again, priority, the first thing David did is he went up to Gibeon and he took the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. He takes the Ark of the Covenant and takes it to Jerusalem and places it in a tabernacle in Jerusalem. So now you have two tabernacles. One in Jerusalem contains the presence of God. The one in Gibeon is absent the presence of God. You would think there'd be a big difference. But do you know that in Gibeon, they worshiped exactly the same way. They went through the exact same rituals, the exact same traditions, the exact same things they did as if the presence of God was there. Even though the presence of God had left there months and years ahead of time. And the presence of God was dwelling in a tabernacle in Jerusalem. I'm here to tell you, many of you are worshiping in a place not the church, in a place in your life that has been absent the presence of God for years. And you're going through the same rituals, the same routines, the same traditions, and you're missing the presence of God because you're so caught up in yourself, you don't realize the presence of God left years ago. And we're at a place that it's the presence of God or nothing. That a God, if, if you're not going with me to my job, I want another job. God, if you're not going with me to church, I want another church. God, if you're not going with me to my, to my family reunion, I'm picking another family. <laughs> like it has to be a priority to you. A.W. Tozer said, if, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the, the modern day church completely, 
95% of what we're doing, we keep on going. He said, but if the Holy Spirit was removed from the New Testament church, 95% of what they were doing would have stopped. What if the Holy Spirit was removed from your life? What would you still keep on doing? It's the presence of God is the priority of a believer. There's a phrase in, in, in medicine called asymptomatic carrier. Touch your neighbor and say asymptomatic. I, I love it when I get to teach you about biology and all kind of other stuff in here. Asymptomatic carrier. What that means is it's somebody who carries a virus or disease, but they show no symptoms. So many times they'll, they'll share their disease with somebody because they didn't realize they were sick because they didn't show any symptoms. I think we're in a day and age in, in, in church culture that a lot of people are asymptomatic carriers of the Holy Spirit. Meaning you may have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but you ain't showing no symptoms. You ain't, you ain't showing any holiness. You ain't showing any pursuit, any growth, any kingdom culture. You look more like the world than you do the temple that is within you. And, and I believe it's, it's a thing that frustrates Jesus to the utmost. That if he did something inside of you, it should produce something outside of you. If you're carrying the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, it should produce the kingdom of God on the outside of you. And so real quick, I want to give you four very practical application points for you to be a carrier of the presence of God. Number one is this. We must continually, if I'm going to be a carrier of the presence of God, we must continually guard what we let the world try to put inside of us. If I want to be a carrier of the presence of God, I must continually, continually guard what the world tries to put inside of us. In Proverbs 4, it says this way, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Meaning what's inside of me is what produces the life outside of me. And if, if I'm carrying the presence of God and I want that to produce life, I got to be very careful what I let other people pour into my vessel. Meaning if, if I'm carrying heaven and I realize the spirit of God is inside of me, I should be very careful on what I let other people try to put into me. Like I should be careful about what I let people say around me. I should be very careful about what I let people do around me. You know, I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook. I, I've actually enjoyed it very much. If you've seen the Chick-fil-A slash versus Popeye's chicken sandwich challenge. So in my family, me and RJ on the outcast, my, the rest of my family is very bougie. They're Chick-fil-A people. I don't need over fried salty chicken. I need some flavor in my life. So I go to Popeye's, right? So when everybody say, oh, well, Popeye's is, you know, it's better. This whole viral video, Popeye's is winning the challenge. But we know people don't go to Chick-fil-A for the food. They go because people are nice to you there. At Popeye's, they ain't gonna be nice. It's like Bunyan's. We were working in West Florence and I took the guys to Bunyan's. I said, look, it's the best barbecue in town, but be prepared. They're going to treat you like junk. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I said, look, I'll go. One day I went in and the little lady was talking crazy to me. I said, listen, I'm not coming back here. She said, yes, you will. <laughs> I ain't going for the customer service. I'm going for the ribs. So at Chick-fil-A, you go through the drive-thru. They say, my pleasure serving you. Popeye's like, all right then. <laughs> Popeye's is dirty. Chick-fil-A is clean. The difference is Popeye's, you better get your heart right before you go in there. Because when you're in there, you're trying to get some chicken, but they are trying to put some stuff in you. Bitterness, unforgiveness, hepatitis. They're trying to put some stuff in you. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm, I just want the chicken, let me leave. I was in there one night with RJ and Nola, a lady with three kids walked into Popeye's. Again, not very clean. None of them had shoes on. RJ said, what do we do? Don't tell your mama. <laughs> so you, but you got to be careful about where you go and what you let other people put inside of you. So if I'm going to Popeyes, I got to make sure I don't let them make me bitter or, or, or go through 
offense or unforgiveness. I'm going to make sure where I go, they're not speaking things that may contaminate what's inside of me. I'm not going to let people offend me. I'm not going to people sow discord in me or division in me. I'm going to protect what's inside of me because what's inside of me is more important than what they're doing outside of me. Because in reality, you're carrying Jesus with you wherever you go. Anthony, come here. I was going to use RJ, but he's not in here. Hold my hand. No homo. Come on. So when I realized in the Old Testament, God led the way you followed. But now the Holy Spirit's in you. Wherever you go, you're carrying Jesus with you. So if I show up to a bar, you think you're getting away from everybody for a moment. You're taking Jesus with you. He sees exactly what you're doing. When you show up at your house and you watch TV late at night and you watch something you know you're not supposed to be watching, you're not by yourself. You're carrying the presence of God with you. And you're not harming him. What you're doing is you're polluting or contaminating the temple that he's trying to dwell in. When you go to somebody and you say something you know is offensive and you're showing discord in their life, you're not doing it by yourself. You're taking Jesus with you. When you realize you're a carrier of Jesus, it should change the way you live. I'm, I'm not doing anything alone. I'm carrying him with me. And so wherever I go, I should ask myself a question. Would I want to carry Jesus with me? No matter what I do, would I want to do this if Jesus was with me? Because he is. And accountability doesn't change it. All accountability does is teach me that Jesus is always with me. Good. Thank you for holding my hand. <laughs> if you truly believed that the presence of heaven was inside of you, I promise you, you'd live life a little differently. But I think the difficulty between Old Testament and New Testament, in Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit was with you, there was a pillar of a cloud or a pillar of fire. In the New Testament, we don't get to see the, the tangible physical expression or manifestation as much because he's on the inside of us. So by faith, I have to remember and remind myself that wherever I may go, I'm carrying with me, him with me. Number two, we cannot let the outward appearance of the vessel distract others from the internal contents or the internal treasure that's inside the vessel. Meaning I'm the vessel, I gotta make sure things I do on the outside of me don't distract other people from the treasure that's on the inside of me. Second Timothy 2.20 says, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, everybody say cleanses himself. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. What that means is just because you said yes to Jesus does not mean your job is done. He says there's some vessels that are honorable, some that are dishonorable. He said those who clean themselves will be used as honorable vessels. What that means is it's Jesus' job to clean the out inside of you. It's his job to clean the inside of the temple to prepare it to pour in his Holy Spirit. But it is your job to clean up the outside of your life. He does what only he can do, and then you do what only you can do. We have a problem. We think, well, if God's going to do it, he'll just do it. No, he also said in Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, meaning clean out the outside of your life. Here's the problem. A lot of believers, they clean out the inside. Jesus washed me. Jesus renewed me. Fill me with your spirit. But the outside has not been cleansed yet. And it's because we produce a lazy form of Christianity where we want God to wash us on the inside but keep doing everything like we've always done on the outside. And you see, you may say, well, well, what difference does it make if I can do it in heaven? Well, if the presence of God doesn't go with you, there's a lot of questions on where you can go. The second side is when you don't clean the outside of your life, you may carry the same contents, but you're distracting other people from what's on the inside. You may be carrying joy with you, but they can't see it. You may be carrying peace with you, but they can't see it. You may be carrying love with you, but they can't see it. All they can see is all the bad language, the bad decisions, the bad actions, because regardless of whether you believe this or not, every action, behavior, and word you speak either distracts people from the treasure of heaven inside of you, 
or reveals the treasure of heaven inside of you. Because if we were honest, he said, which one do you want to drink from? Which one are you going to pick? Well, if you're smart, you're going to pick the clean one. Even though the inside of this pitcher is exactly the same water and just as clean. It's amazing to me that Christianity is in decline in America. And the reason being is the contents haven't changed, but the vessels have. The vessels have. We've begun trying to hide the contents because we don't want to look judgmental to a world full of judgmental people. Hey, have you ever noticed how the world's like, you shouldn't judge. You're judging me by saying I shouldn't judge. And what has happened is in order to protect ourselves from the judgment of the world, we'd rather put ourselves in a place where we have to be judged by God. And I would say that's a very dangerous place to be. Because as soon as we can say, we don't live for ourselves anymore, we live for other people. We live to share what God has poured inside of us with the people around us who are empty and needing help and needing the presence of God on earth. But they'll never receive it out of a container that is disgustingly decrepit and doesn't align with the contents inside of us. In Romans 14, real quick. I have to turn there. In Romans 14, Paul is saying this. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or righteousness, but peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, you should never put a hindrance between what's on the inside of you and the outside of you. People need to see what's on the inside of you. When you show up to work, they don't need to see the outside. They need the inside of you. And if you keep making decisions and actions and speaking in ways that are contrary to the contents inside of you, you distract people from the very thing that sets you apart. So I would just ask myself, God, what, what am I doing? How am I living that's distracting people from your glory? What, what am I saying? How, what are my words that I'm speaking? What, what am I saying that's not revealing your glory but distracting people from your glory. And number three, if you want to be a carrier of the presence of God, make sure you're pouring out the contents or the treasure that's inside of you into the people around you that's empty. If you want to be a carrier of the presence of God, meaning the presence of God is your first priority, you must continually pour out the treasure of your vessel into the empty vessels around you. Because once you're full, you're, you're really not full in, in the spirit until you're overflowing. Like you may receive the Holy Spirit when you get saved, but you're not filled with the Holy Spirit until you're overflowing with the Spirit. And the only way you can be full of the Holy Spirit is when you're pouring out in others, because as you pour out, God pours back into you. Like if you don't pour out, you become stagnant, you become stale, you become rigid, you become religious. And you need a fresh pouring every single day. And the only way I can get a fresh pouring of God's spirit is by to pour myself out so that God can pour in. I have to make room for God to pour into me. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Elisha's walking through town. There's an old widow. She says, you got to help me, you got to help me. My man was a great man of God, but he passed away. I don't have enough money to pay my debts. What should I do? She's like, they're going to throw me and my two sons in prison to pay off these debts. He said, what do you have in the house? He says, well, I have a little bit of oil. He said, go to all your neighbors or all your friends and ask for any empty vessels they may have. And she goes, she gets empty vessels, and she brings them in. And he says, when you get the empty vessels, pour out the oil and keep on pouring until it stops. Now, she had a little pitcher of oil. She had these empty vessels, and she starts pouring. And she pours out in that one. It fills up. They bring another vessel, pour into that one. And it kept on pouring. It kept on pouring. It kept on pouring. It didn't stop flowing until they ran out of vessels. 
Meaning, I believe to the extent you pour out into other people is the extent God will pour heaven into you. Oil is always a representation of the Holy Spirit or the anointing in Scripture. And I believe it's amazing that the level of which she achieved in this blessing was contingent upon the number of relationships she had connected to her. Meaning, if she was a jerk, she walks to her neighbor and says, can I borrow an empty jar? Mm-mm. No, remember when I asked for one from you and you said no? Because you're working at Popeye's acting all crazy like that? <laughs> if she was a jerk, she wouldn't have had many. But because she'd built some relationships and built some community, she had some blessings that could be poured into. And I'm telling you, if you want more of God, you have to pour out more of yourself. The reason we do community groups here is not because we need people in groups. It's because we know, like Jessica said, your blessing is attached to you pouring out into other people so God can pour back into you through other people. And it has this context, this principle that if you want more of God, you have to make room for him. God cannot fill up blank spaces. If you say, well, I just want more of God, but I don't read my Bible. I don't worship. I don't pray. I don't go to church. I'm not in a community group. I want more of God. I just don't want to make room for him. God say, hmm. But if you give God just a little bit of opening, create just a little bit of space, God will fill up every single empty space you give him. But you have to make room for him. And last one, number four. If I'm going to be a, pres- a carrier of the presence of God, I must never, ever, 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 ever allow myself to be empty. How can you carry the presence of God if you're empty? You know what happens when you're empty? You show up to work, nothing changes because you have nothing to pour out. Your marriage is on the rocks because you have nothing to pour out into your wife. Your wife has nothing to pour into you. You keep trying and you keep pouring, but you know what happens? You get tired if you keep trying to do something, you don't see a result change. You start putting more effort in and more effort in and more effort in and nothing's changing because you've become empty and you have nothing to pour out into anybody else. Then you become religious and having a form of religion without any power because you allowed yourself to become empty. If you ever pay attention to UPS and FedEx truck drivers, they have a job every single day. They, they get their truck filled up with, with packages that everybody bought from Amazon where they were going to the bathroom. Like, like you, you're shopping for stuff while you're using the restroom. It's probably not a good purchase. Then you show up and you're like, I, I didn't even know I ordered that. Probably not. That's their whole job. They deliver these packages. They, they show up every morning. They fill their truck up. Then the rest of the day, they're, they're delivering or emptying themselves to other people. I believe God has called us. He's filled us up for a purpose, to travel throughout life, to travel through our relationships, to travel through our community and deliver the presence of God to the places we go. But what happens at the end of the day when the UPS driver is finished, he's finished because he emptied his truck. But he doesn't leave his truck empty. He goes back to the same place he was filled up before. And he allows him to refill his truck with new contents and a fresh, a fresh package to deliver. In Acts chapter 15, I think it's verse 31, it says, in the apostles, it says, after they did all this ministry, after they did these miracles, all of a sudden the people in the town turned against them. And right there in verse 31, 32, it says, but again, they continually, God continually filled them with his Holy Spirit. Meaning, depending on your background, the old Pentecostal deal that you get filled with the Holy Spirit once, no, you get filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. Every day you need a fresh anointing. Every day you need a fresh infilling. Every day you need God to pour back into you because you have something to pour out every single day. Some of you have been trying to deliver hope and deliver faith and deliver love and deliver peace and deliver grace and deliver joy and deliver all these things. You've been trying to deliver them, but you're like a UPS man that's driving with an empty truck. 
And you show up and you're here to deliver something, but your hands are empty. And then you're wondering, well, God just doesn't work anymore. No, he works. He just works for those who are filled with his presence. We have to come to a place where it's the presence of God or nothing. God, if you don't go, I'm not going. God, if you don't feel me, I'm staying here. God, if you don't move me, I'm sitting. God, you have to, you have to, you have to go with me. And Moses, there's two things he, he asked for when he's praying. He said, God, let me know you more. Let me know you more. I believe that's the word. If I'm going to know God, I have to know him through his word. God, let me know you more. Then he says, and God, show me your glory. God, I want to know you more, and I want to seek your glory. I want to know you more, I want to seek your glory. I want to know you more, I want to seek your glory. I want to know you more, I want to seek your glory. God says, okay, I'll go. I'll go with you. He says, but I can't show you my face. Because it's not, it's not for man to see my face, but I'll pass by you. And when I pass by you, you'll see my backside. And it was so glorious, Moses fell down and could barely stand. If you want God to feel you, and you want God to go with you, you want to be a care of his presence, God, I need to know you more. I need to know your ways. I need to know your will. I need to know who you are. I need to know what you like and what you don't like. I need to know what you desire from me. I need to know what your kingdom is like. I need to know you more. And God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your manifest glory, not just something I heard about. I want to see you face to face. I'm going to do that through prayer, through worship. But God, I need your word. I need your spirit. I need to know you more through your word. I need to see your glory through your spirit. God, I need you because I need your presence above everything else. God, if you show me, I'll go. And I'll carry your presence with me wherever I shall go. God, I know it'll make me different. But I'd rather be different with you in the wilderness than to look like everybody else in the promised land. God, I'd rather be set apart with you than to blend in with people. And it's a choice every believer has to make because God gives us the choice. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. One quick question. Every head bowed, every eye closed, one private moment in this day. There's people in this room that you're empty because you've never let the old you die. You need a new spirit poured in you. You're a carrier of a spirit, but you're carrying the spirit of your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your sin. You're carrying a spirit of darkness. You're carrying a spirit of the kingdom of you. And you show up and nothing changes. You're an asymptomatic carrier because you're not carrying the presence of God. And the reason is because you're not saved. You, you've played religion for a while, but you've never given your life to Jesus. And then and only then will he let you die to yourself or pour yourself out so he can pour his spirit into you. And if you want to be a carrier presence, say, well, God, I need your favor. I need your presence. I need you to lead me and guide me and take me to wherever you are. But God, I realize I stand here. I need to respond to your spirit this morning and give my life to you. I'm not making a decision. I'm not saying I want to do better. I'm not saying I want to do right. I'm saying, God, I need to die to myself. I need you to make me new again. If that's you. So the Holy Spirit is telling me that's me. You, you have a voice inside you saying, that is you. Today is your day. I'm not going to have you stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward. But I do want you to slide your hand up right where you are. That's you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Put your hands down after you raise them. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But if you raise your hand, I need you to do me a huge favor. Because we want to walk with you, we want to love on you, we want to encourage you, we want to be there for you. As soon as service is over, if you'd stop by the info center and let them know, hey, I raised my hand, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. Let them get your name and number so we can call you, follow up with you, but also give you a gift to help you in your journey. 
But everybody together, let's pray this together. If you raise your hand, pray along with me. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. We thank you that, Father, you leave no one empty. We're either full of ourselves or we're full of you. And right now, Father, these people that raise their hands, I just pray as they respond to your spirit, that you allow for them to die to self, die to their sin, die of their pursuit of self, die to their own kingdom, and let them be resurrected in you, a new life, new spirit, new hope, new purpose, new dreams, new journey, and new destination. Father, fill them with your spirit. Guide them, lead them, surround them with people that are building community of gospel love and gospel mercy and gospel grace. Father, let them walk with you and alongside of you and let yourself dwell within them as a temple of the Most High God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody else, if you'd stand to your feet all over the room. So for those of you that don't know what that was, that I talked about last week, that's a public spiritual language. There's a message in a spiritual language and an interpretation. That interpretation is always from God to our church. It's always an encouraging word, a, a building up word, a comforting word for our church as a people. And so if you didn't hear what happened was, heard the, their message in a spiritual language and the interpretation, Dr. Heinkel had, actually had both. And the interpretation was this, that it's a time to worship God in spirit and in truth to embrace the fullness of his spirit so you can process everything in life through a spiritual perspective and a spiritual lens. And as you ponder on that and you think about that, one, if you have any questions, that's straight out of 1 Corinthians 14, straight up, straight done, the way it's supposed to be done. If you have any questions about it, let us know, fill out a connect card, call us at the church office. We're gonna go back into worship. This is a song we did at the end, and it's a prayer. This is a song Jason and Reagan actually wrote and I texted them this week. I said, can we do Fill, us, fill Me Up by Tasha Cobbs or, or Bethel? And he texted me, he said, can we talk? And he actually wrote a song called Fill Me Up. And I want this to be a prayer from your heart. That God, I need you. God, I want you. It's your presence or nothing. And let your words not be words reading off a screen, but a prayer from your heart to God, that God fill me from the bottom to the top, from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with heaven here on earth in Jesus' name.